Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg and microphone engineer Connie (laughs) is going to tell us about Stella Nickel tonight. And as you know, we are a Zen caster powered podcast. We're going to tell you all about it in just a little bit, but we love it. And we'll tell you why you would love it, too, if you started a podcast. Yeah. We talk quite often how Meg and I, we don't know the cases that each other is covering until we cover them. We and want then, authenticity. And it never fails to make me laugh when I realize how in sync we are. Because following Meg's crazy Sheila LeBear story, I'm coming in this week with another lady. <laughs> and I just had to be like, aw. When you were thinking, when you were talking last week, I was like, this is too funny. But first, before we get into the nitty gritty, early in the morning on September 29th, 1982, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman woke up with a sore throat and a runny nose. She was given one extra strength Tylenol, and by 7 a.m., Mary was dead. What? Mm Mm-hmm. That same day... 27-year-old Adam Janice, a postal worker, died of what was initially believed to be a massive heart attack. When his brother and sister-in-law, Stanley and Teresa, went to Adam's home to be there for their loved ones, the familiar feeling of a throbbing headache after you've been upset all day set in. It's not uncommon when people are in mourning. Both took extra strength Tylenol. Stanley died that very same day, and Teresa died two days later. Over the next few days, three more deaths would occur. 35-year-old Mary McFarland, 35-year-old Paula Prince, 27-year-old Mary Weiner all took Tylenol. All died shortly after. Now, I take Tylenol all the time, probably more often than I should because I'm a hypochondriac, but these seven people weren't just taking Tylenol. The pills in the victim's Tylenol bottles had all, the capsules had all been filled with lethal lethal doses of cyanide. These murders led to the Tylenol bill, which makes it a federal offense to tamper with consumer products. And by 1989, the FDA required all manufacturers to make products tamper-proof. 31 million bottles of Tylenol were recalled as a direct result of the poisonings. The tampered bottles were isolated to the Chicago area. And unfortunately, this case is still unsolved. A man named James William Lewis confessed to the crimes, demanding $1 million to be given to him by Johnson & Johnson if they wanted the poisonings to stop. But it was discovered that he lived in New York and he had not been to the Chicago area. So he was subsequently sentenced to 20 years in prison for extortion. And like I said, the case (laughs) remains unsolved. Sorry, that's like full on karma. Like, actually, sir, we're not going to give you a million dollars. And instead, you're going to jail for 20 years. Yeah, he served 13 years in prison before he was released. What a dummy. But these murders changed the way the -the over-the-counter medications were sold. The plastic binding around the tops, the foil on the inside, the statements of this appears to be tampered, 
do not use warnings on the side of bottles. All a direct result of what has been dubbed the Tylenol murders. Johnson & Johnson's response has also been heralded as one of the best responses to a corporate crisis ever because of immediately they've recalled everything. They immediately worked on rebranding and they cha completely changed their safety efforts. Stock for Tylenol actually soared after this instead of like completely fizzling because of Johnson yep. & Johnson's response. They're still holding, holding strong out there, so. And that little tidbit isn't relevant to the story. I just thought it was interesting because I could promise that as if I were an adult in that era, the last thing I would ever take is a Tylenol, ever. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd be like, uh, hard pass. I think they had offered like over... It's like a hundred thousand dollars reward for any information leading to who committed the murders, who like who poisoned, and they immediately offered to replace capsule forms with the tablet form just because like it is more difficult to tamper with. But yeah, they turned things around, and um, that's the end of the case this week. No, never. It's actually just the beginning. Could you imagine if we just posted a six-minute episode? People would riot. They would riot in the streets. Riot. Sorry, guys. Just after 6 a.m. on June 11th, 1986, Susan Snow, Sue, a 40-year-old bank manager who lived in Auburn, a Seattle suburb, got out of bed to start her day. She had the morning ritual of waking up, taking two extra strength, etc., for two reasons, if she had a headache and also for the caffeine boost that they offered. She had a conversation with her 15-year-old daughter, Haley, before heading to the bathroom to get ready for work. She plugged in her curling iron. She started the shower. was getting ready to begin her morning routine. Haley realized that her mom was taking an awful long time in the bathroom. So she called out because she could still hear the shower running. Mom, mom, no answer just the sound of the running shower. She ran into the bathroom where she found her mom unconscious on the floor holding her chest. She was struggling to breathe, so Haley called for help and Sue was rushed to the hospital. Unfortunately, she passed away a few hours later, never having regained consciousness after she passed out in the bathroom. Initially, doctors thought, due to the sudden nature of Sue's death, that maybe she had had an aneurysm. But there was no evidence of any internal bleeding. Investigators questioned that maybe she had overdosed. But Haley and Sue's husband were very adamant that Haley's mom didn't even drink or smoke. Like, there's no way that she was taking drugs. And in fact, quite the opposite. Sue had every reason in the world to live this vibrant life. Although she had dropped out of high school, got married early, she really worked to make a life for herself and her two daughters. One of her daughters was grown, and then there was Haley, who was 15. She had risen to assistant vice presidency at the Puget Sound National Bank. She had recently married Paul Webking, a 45-year-old truck driver. He said they were madly in love, very happy. Oh, mm-hmm. During the autopsy... The examiner noticed the faint smell of bitter almonds was emanating from her body. That smell, that impossible to ignore sign, 
brought even more questions. And for those that don't know, the smell of bitter almonds during an autopsy is the telltale sign that someone has been poisoned by cyanide. But Sue Snow, the doting mother, who would have poisoned her? Investigators were like, would she have poisoned herself? And then when the results came back from the lab, the question of whether Sue Snow was actually poisoned was answered, positive for cyanide. And her family was completely shocked. Haley remembered the headache her mom had the morning of her death. She remembered her mom taking the medicine. So the Excedrin was tested and the results returned positive for cyanide. Thoughts of the Tylenol murders just four years prior rang through the area. The lot number of the tainted capsules was released. Excedrin was removed from all of the shelves. Two other bottles of contaminated Excedrin were found and removed in the shelves um, from a grocery store in Auburn and another one in Kent, which is another Seattle suburb. No surprises here, but hysteria ensued. All non-prescription capsules were removed from pharmacy shelves. All recent unexplained deaths were being re-examined. And if you're not familiar with how cyanide works, it's pretty brutal. It prevents the cells from using oxygen to make energy molecules. Specifically, it binds the A3 portion, which is like the complex four of the cytochrome oxidase, and it prevents cells from using oxygen, causing rapid death. It like suffocates your cells. And it looks like table salt. It's very lethal. The central nervous system and the cardiovascular system are greatly affected. And as we can see with the previous tests I mentioned, it doesn't take long at all for cyanide poisoning to become deadly. But remember, following the Tylenol murders in Chicago, it became a federal offense to tamper with consumer products. So this case was immediately handed over to the FBI and it became a federal investigation. There were 60 agents that were assigned to Sue Snow's murder. Initially, oh, yeah. one of the investigators on the case, Jack Kuzak, believed that maybe this was a domestic terrorism case or maybe there was a pissed off employee at Excedrin who was, you know, randomly poisoning Excedrin bottles. But there was never any demands that were made. There had been no employees that fit the script of someone who would be capable of doing this. There was no reasoning behind it. No one had been like abruptly fired or quit or any of those warning signs that you see. So investigators just waited. They knew that this wasn't an isolated incident because there were no other bottles, because there were other bottles that had been found to be contaminated. So like, was this a random thing? Was Sue the actual target? Was this going to be a repeat of the Tylenol murders? Police just continued to search for answers. On June 17th, a frantic woman called the police to tell them that her husband, Bruce, had also died suddenly after taking extra strength, etc. Stella Nichol told police that Bruce had come home from work on June 5th with a headache, took four extra strength, etc., and collapsed moments later. Bruce died shortly after at the Harborview Medical Center, and his death was initially ruled to be by natural causes, with emphysema as being cited as the cause of death. Bruce Nickel had already been buried. Sue tells the investigators that the bottle of Excedrin in her house that Bruce had taken had the same lot number as the one that had been advertised 
that had caused the murders before. So police like are like, holy shit, we have another one. So they pull up to Stella Nichols' home. Once police arrived, she handed over the bottles of Excedrin because she had two of them. Both bottles were found to be contaminated with cyanide. Said that she bought the bottles at two different locations. One at Auburn and one at a grocery store in Kent. Luckily for police officers, Bruce Nickel was an organ donor. So a sample of his blood serum was preserved and was able to be tested. And as I'm sure you're expecting, the blood serum tested positive for cyanide. Now there's even more hysteria in the area. Was there a killer on the loose? There was a $300,000 award offered from Excedrin for the capture or information of who was responsible for these contaminated bottles. There was no connection between Sue Snow, a local banker, and Bruce Nickel, a heavy machine operator. But the break in the case came when a young chemist who was testing the Excedrin bottles at the FBI crime lab realized that the contaminated bottles had tiny green crystal specks mixed within it. And because chemistry is so freaking awesome, they were able to completely break down the chemical components and were able to see that the green crystal specks were consistent with a chemical used in an algae killer that most people use to clean their fish tanks. He was able to go even further and identify the exact brand of the algae killer. Algae destroyer. (laughs) That's like a quick to the point, like, this is what our product does. It destroys algae. (laughs) Algae destroyer. Definitely a metal band somewhere. And I should, I thought that when I first wrote that. (laughs) And whoever, I don't want you to think that like this algae destroyer had cyanide inside of it but whoever was responsible for contaminating the excedrin bottles had crushed up the cyanide in the same container that the algae destroyer was had been stored in previously almost eight hundred thousand bottles of excedrin were tested five bottles contained cyanide and in an unfortunate string of luck stella nickel just happened to have bought two of those bottles from different places so weird, Stella. Mm-hmm. Weird, straight bad luck for you. She said that she had bought the two different bottles at two different times from two different areas. Now, it doesn't take rocket science to be like, what are the odds that this lady is just this unlucky? Does she have a fish tank? Hmm. <laughs> Stella Nickel. Board Stella Maudine Stevenson was a native of Colton, Oregon. Things were a little rough for her growing up. Her family struggled for money. She had a daughter by the age of 16, Cynthia. She met Bruce Nickel in 1974 when she was 32 years old. This followed a previous failed marriage and the birth of another daughter. And prior to marrying Bruce, she had her own run-ins with the law. She was arrested in 1968 for fraud. The following year, she was arrested for physically abusing Cynthia with a freaking curtain rod. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 1971, again, for forgery. 
She served a total of six months in jail for her fraud conviction and was ordered to attend counseling for her abuse charge. The After meeting in 1974, Bruce and Stella were married two years later. To her neighbors, Stella was very rudely described as a, quote, washed-up honky-tonk girl. (laughs) I can only hope to be described as that someday. (laughs) She worked as a security guard at the Seattle-Tacoma airport. She was a grandmother. It seemed like her and Bruce were pretty happy together. She was described as cheerful and hardworking and a washed-up honky-tonk girl. I had to say that again because I just, if I pass away or, like, if I am ever under investigation and that's how my neighbors describe me, I'm going to be offended. I think that they'll take it as a win. Like, there's way worse things you could have said about me. Washed-up honky-tonk girl, I'll take it. My neighbor is going to say that I never weed my flower beds. (laughs) Washed up gardener. Stella took a liking to Bruce partly because they lived pretty similar lifestyles. When they first got together, Bruce was a heavy drinker who liked to go out and have a good time. They spent a lot of their time out at bars, and Stella liked that. But during their 12 year marriage, Bruce took control of his life and he entered rehab for his drinking problem. He began to live a sober life. He'd given up drinking completely. He didn't like to go out to bars because why would a recovering alcoholic want to go to a bar? And most wives would be excited about this. Most wives would be thankful that their husbands are doing everything they can to better themselves for their family. But not Stella. She liked being able to go out. And with Bruce being sober, that wasn't something that she could do anymore. So instead... Stella took up the hobby of maintaining a home aquarium. Hmm. So weird. It's almost like I didn't expect it. (laughs) So like I said, there were changes that were made to how these over-the-counter medications had to be packaged. And the Excedrin bottles all were in like the typical plastic bottles. They were sealed with foil and the lid was wrapped with plastic wrap much like we see today outside of the box when we purchase a medication. Because it was looking likely that this was a local person who committed these murders because the contaminated bottles were only found in this Seattle suburb area, the normal chain of investigations began. Both Paul Webking, Sue's husband, and Stella were asked to take polygraph tests. Paul took his polygraph test. He passed, but he was very vocal about his discontent about his treatment from the FBI because he believed that they really thought he was guilty, which I can't say that I wouldn't first suspect the husband because we, as we know, statistically, they are more likely to murder you like a spouse is. Yes. But I can also understand being frustrated that while you are trying to mourn the very sudden death of your wife, that you're being treated like a suspect. So I get both sides of it. Now, Stella... Stella refused to take the polygraph test because she was just too shaken up to have to endure the examination. And at this point, she was being represented by a lawyer because she had filed a wrongful death suit over her husband's death. And the detail that kept bringing the investigation back to Stella's doorstep was the fact that she claimed she purchased two separate bottles of Excedrin two separate locations, and two separate times, and they were both contaminated with cyanide. 
And it's just not plausible for someone to be that unlucky. That's, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying the likelihood is very slim. Slim to none. Once police officers started investigating Stella Moore, they discovered more evidence against her. I'll bet circumstantial, but there was still more evidence. Stella had taken out a life insurance policy, a few life insurance policies that were worth a total of $76,000 in the event that she would receive in the event of her husband's death. But there was an additional $100,000 that would be paid out if his death was ruled accidental. A poisoning is accidental. When Bruce's death was ruled as having been from natural causes, because remember the initial report said like he passed away from emphysema. Yeah. Stella called that doctor several times to be like, are you sure? Like, are you sure? Natural causes? Like, are you sure it was emphysema? He's never had emphysema. Are you sure? Can you look again? And prior to Bruce's death, the financial situation for the Nichols had been pretty bleak. They had previously narrowly escaped having to file bankruptcy. But at the time, and at the time of Bruce's death, their single wide trailer that they shared was on the verge of being foreclosed on by the bank. And it wasn't Sue Stowe's bank because initially I was like, is this all combined? Like, is this all <laughs> intertwined? Where's the conspiracy? Agents began to canvas the area, paying attention to local pet stores. Agent Jack Cusack remembered that the fish tank in their home, the Nichols home, and had agents put together a group of pictures of different women, one of them being Stella, and canvassed the area. On August 25th, a store clerk in Kent picked Stella out of a group of pictures as someone that he remembered buying algae destroyer. He said that he remembered her because she had a little bell on her purse, and he called her the woman who jingled. This lady has very unfortunate nicknames. But again, all of this information is circumstantial. There wasn't enough to even obtain an arrest warrant. And on November 18th, Agent Ron Nichols, who specialized in combing through all of the details of a case, he would get big, thick case files and he would comb through it and pick out the important details. He had a keen eye to if there was anything that was missed. He was like the- on it. He could spot it. He's the- main person who could actually put attention you know has attention to detail on their resume not like the rest of us (laughs) sorry i lost my spot it's okay so agents ron nichols and agent jack kuzak met with stella for her first formal interview at the fbi field office in seattle as she sat down the woman who jingled ran through kuzak's head because she came in, small bell on her purse, this big buckskin coat. And the interview started off with the basic questions. Where did you buy the bottles? I told you, Auburn and Kent. Have you ever purchased algae destroyer? No, never. (laughs) Have you ever taken out additional insurance policies on your husband? No. Why would I do that? And even though police had examined the insurance policies and it was determined that two of the smaller life insurance policies that were taken out on Bruce, his signature had been forged. They knew she was lying. Once again, she was asked by Kuzak if she would be okay with taking a polygraph test. Immediately, she broke down crying. She sobbed. I can't answer any more questions. I just can't go through with this. This is just too much. 
Cusack uses what he calls a pebbles on the roof technique, which is essentially the suspect gets the impression that they're the police are interviewing everyone that has ever come in contact with them. The suspect begins to think that the investigators know about every mistake that they make. And it's almost like they're asleep at night. And there it is again. He said, ping, ping, ping on the roof. And I know this technique personally because my parents used to do it to me when I got in trouble when I was younger. And I would admit to stuff that I was convinced they already knew that they had no idea. So I would always just get myself into more trouble. So that was fun. But this tactic worked because four days later, Stella called and agreed to take a polygraph test. No surprise, guys, but she failed it. Shock. (laughs) Kuzak looked at her after the test and said, Stella, listen to me. Based on your physiological responses, I am positive that you caused Bruce's death. And without missing a beat, she blinked, stared at him coldly, and said, I want to see my attorney. And then she clammed up. No responses, nothing. She wasn't giving Cusack any information to go on. So he started from the beginning. He started calling any and all witnesses again to see if there was anything new that they could remember. He got the same answer every time. But six weeks later, the phone rang. On the other end of the phone were friends of Stella's 27-year-old daughter, Cindy, Cynthia. They told Cusack, you really need to talk to Cindy again. And he's like, well, I've already talked to her. She said, and they're like, nope, you really need to talk to Cindy again. She has a lot of information. Cindy had initially fiercely defended her mom when she was questioned by Cusack. But now there's this failed polygraph test. So Cindy was having second thoughts about comments that her mom had been making for years. Stella would regularly talk to Cindy about killing Bruce. She said that she was bored in the marriage, but she didn't want to divorce him because she would lose half of the property that they lived on. She had talked about hiring a hitman. She talked about running his car off the road. She had said that she had tried to poison him before with toxic seeds, but that it only made Bruce sleepy and it didn't kill him. And then finally, a few months before Bruce's death, she started talking to Cindy about cyanide. She talked about it so much that when Bruce died, Cindy looked at her mom and Stella was just like, I know what you're thinking. And the answer is no. So Cindy was like, all right, that's that. <laughs> Until My it mom. was, yes. Mm-hmm. Kuzak and Cindy talked for nine hours about Stella. So he was Cindy con- had some stuff she wanted to get off of her chest. Exactly. He Kuzak was convinced more than ever before that Stella had murdered Bruce for money. And the additional bottles that she had planted was just collateral damage to recreate the Tylenol murders to make it look like this was a mass accidental poisoning. The accidental death that she needed to get that extra $100,000. He believed that Cindy's testimony would be enough for a conviction, but there was still the fact that no one had actually seen Stella actually tamper with the Excedrin bottles. And the argument can always be made that 
it's a daughter who is pissed off at her mom and there's some type of vendetta, you know, on and on. Fair. And Cindy agreed to testify against her mom as long as she was guaranteed that her mom was not executed. And Cusack was like, look, even though this is a federal offense, the Vax penalty was life in prison. Like the death penalty was never even going to be on the table. Mm -hmm. But Cusack was tortured by the realization that Sue was just collateral damage. He was sick of the thought that Haley could be the one to take the medication, that Paul could have taken the medication, that the other two bottles that were on the shelves could have ended up in the homes of unsuspecting victims children all for a hundred thousand dollars and in the grim scheme of things that isn't even a lot of money to like end lives over she had filed the wrongful death suit against bristol myers the creator of etc for contributing to her husband's death so this was 100 percent always about money and stella did not care who she had to hurt to get what she wanted by February of 1987, the once 60-people-deep task force was cut down to just three people. Cusack, Nichols, and a rookie named Marshall Stone. They were frantically searching for the piece of evidence that would link it all together. The smoking gun, per se. They went to terror readers and fortune tellers because Stella really had a thing for the occult. She liked having her fortune read. They were looking in all of these like occult shops for links to cyanide. I don't know if they're like, oh, you read tarot cards. I bet you have cyanide. I hope that wasn't their train of thought. But their big break came when Cusack recalled that Sydney had told them that her mom had even began researching cyanide at the local libraries, which she thought was weird. So Agent Stone, because he's the rookie in this trio, canvassed all of the local libraries. He headed to Auburn, Stella's hometown, and when he asked if Stella Nichol had a library card, the librarian gave him a piece of paper from their records, and it was an overdue slip for a book that had never been returned with the title Human Poisoning. <laughs> like, I'm laughing just because it's so ridiculous. Like, Stella... <laughs> get it together yeah she had checked the book out and never returned it so armed with his library card or stella's library card numbers he looked through every single other book that stella had checked out one of the books lovingly entitled deadly harvest had been checked out twice before bruce's death remember she said she had tried to poison him with toxic seeds but it didn't work Stone was able to send all of the books that pertain to poisoning, as well as like encyclopedias that she had checked out to the FBI crime lab. Her prints were in the Deadly Harvest book 84 times, with the majority of the concentration of her prints coming from the pages about cyanide. That's why libraries are the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was some, like older librarian who was like this bitch look she checked out this book she's never returned it were the seeds do you know what kind they were were they cherry seeds no i don't know did you know that if you eat enough cherry pits it's poison 
I don't know why someone would eat a cherry pit. It's like really it's, hard. It's cyanide. Yeah, your body. Like, but if you, other... yeah, it breaks it down to cyanide. But if you eat enough cherry pits, it will break it down to cyanide and it'll make you really sick and it can poison you. So I'm wondering if the seeds that she tried to use were cherry That would make sense. Pits. Yeah. I don't know. Or maybe she was like picking shit out of the woods. Like, this looks <laughs> like the same picture. <laughs> it's like you, you could, like, you just have the book next to the plant. Like, uh, that looks like, the same. Yeah, close enough. I don't think I could ever poison someone because I always go back to like the emperor's new groove. How it, just, <laughs> it was like horribly wrong, where I would drink the poison on accident. I just, I can't do it. A llama. Sorry. He's now supposed I'm... to be dead. <laughs> I'm going to watch that tomorrow. It's a good movie. But Cusack was armed with 31 witnesses, the fingerprints, the testimony of Cindy, and prosecutors were able to portray the portrait of the icy, cold, washed-up, honky-tonk lady who just wanted money and who didn't care who she had to kill to get it. She was fully prepared to kill whoever to make Bruce's death look like an accident. And she was officially indicted on December 9th, 1987. And she went to trial in April of 1988. On May 9th, after five days of jury deliberation, she was found guilty on five counts of product tampering, including two that resulted in the deaths of Sue Snow and Bruce Nickel. And Nichols, her, Stella's legal team, like they had claims of like jury tampering, judicial mix, misconduct. There was a motion for a mistrial that was submitted and it was denied. Stella was sentenced to two 90-year terms for the charges relating to the deaths of Susan and Bruce and three 10-year terms for the other product tampering charges. All of the sentences were to run concurrently and the judge ordered Stella to pay a small fine and forfeit her remaining assets to the families of her victims. Rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely. She's still shocking maintains her innocence because she's still alive she said that she started reading the books because she wanted to make sure that she would know what would be a danger to kids and pets you know she was a grandma and she did have her fish tank yeah right because sure, you know, stella pets and children regularly come in contact with cyanide so it's very important to know about yeah. it of course and there were conflicting requests regarding her purchase of this Excedrin bottles because in all of the police documents it said that Stella admitted multiple times to purchasing the bottles at different places but Stella had a roommate and she said that she was told the bot from Stella that the bottles were only purchased from one place and Stella says that she never told the police officers where she had purchased them but it was well documented she had purchased them from two different places. Mm -hmm. Supposedly. Allegedly, yep. She claims that Cindy was jealous of her and had always lied on her, including the time when she was arrested for hitting her with a curtain rod. She said that that never happened. Cindy had wanted to stay home from school one day and she was like, no, 
my sweet angel baby, you have to go to school. Like you have to get your education. And then Cindy got to school and was like, nurse, my mom abused me. And then it didn't happen. Yeah, I don't believe you. Uh-huh. I don't believe you. She was pissed because Cindy was paid $250,000 out of the original reward that was offered. Which I will say that does make the her testimony look a little sketch. But... Uh, still, I mean, she was the one who mm-hmm. gave I the agree. information. And originally, she wouldn't give it, even when she knew there was an award. So good for her. Mm-hmm. Stella was eligible for parole in 2017. It was a year early of her, like, 2018 that she was supposed to serve. But a judge denied it and recommended that she served the remainder of her sentence. And that she just filed, like, in May of 2022 so this year she filed a petition for a compassionate release from federal prison um she served 34 years so far she's 78 years old stella said in her petition that she has several health issues relating to her elderly age and that the federal bureau of prisons can't provide her the medical care she needs to which i say fuck off stella sue had met sue didn't get to live to be 78 years old Bruce didn't get to live to be 78-year-old. So I don't really give a shit about what medical needs you have. Yeah, and honestly, who who better than the federal government to treat your ails? You probably have great medical in... Why don't you go check out some books from the library? Maybe read up on... Uh, treat yourself. Medical treatment, yeah. <laughs> treat yourself, lady. Oh, wow, that was uh, hilarious. That was, I mean, it wasn't funny, but it was just that lady is... Well, let's do an ad to make ourselves not think about this for a second. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, I would love to start a podcast, you should. Zencaster has everything you need to record and produce a high quality, ready to publish podcast. Zencaster makes our remote recording completely possible because we're busy. We don't have time to learn a bunch of different systems. So please start a podcast. You're the only you. You're the only one who has your specific opinions. Grab a mic, maybe grab a friend or two. Head over to Zencaster.com slash pricing. Use promo code gruesome for 30% off your first three months. Or click the link in any of our bios and then tell us about your podcast. And if you have any problems during the process, just let us know. We'll help you out. Can't wait to hear it. So I swear at the beginning of this, I thought she was going to be the one who was also responsible for the Tylenol murders. Like, I know you said that they were unsolved, Mm -hmm. but I was like, oh, and then this lady, she lived in Chicago before and she did those too. Like, that's what I thought was about to happen. She just saw it as uh, like a way to capitalize on another very awful tragedy. Copycat. Mm -hmm. There's been Uh, a few copycat uh, Tylenol murders after Oof, the initial gross. one the uh her daughter getting the reward money gives me um like lady gaga the people who stole her dogs like stole them and then they were like we found these dogs tied up and tried to like return them for the reward mm-hmm. money and mm-hmm. they were like no you lose that's surprise you're guilty it just i'm a freak when it comes to like taking medicine at people's houses and like all this random 
stuff because of things like this. I know it's a lot harder to like tamper with medication bottles, but I cannot imagine being like, oh my God, I have such a headache. My kids sucked yesterday. Let me take some medicine and then dying. Oof, that's awful. I like it's it's not like a you fall asleep and don't wake up like it's 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 not a comfortable way to pass it's awful yeah I could definitely see me accidentally going that way though because I get gnarly migraines and I always get an aura like right before them where I can't see out of my eyes Mm -hmm. and the other day I was I was talking to my friend who sits next to me in class, and I was like, do you have any Tylenol? She's like, I have this random pill in the bottom of my bag. I'm pretty sure it's a Tylenol. I was like, yep, give it to me. I'll have it. It was cracked. (laughs) I barely remember what what happened for the next two days. I remember at work, because I also get, that's why I get Botox. Like, I have the gnarliest headaches. Like, I take medicine for them every day, most days when I remember, and I get Botox because my headaches kick my ass and at work one day I asked one of the doctors that I worked with if they had any Tylenol and they just held up this Ziploc bag of like Tylenol and Excedrin and I was like nah son I'm gonna go home I would be like yeah that's fine Tylenol Excedrin mixed together yeah you just pick it's like do you want an inset or do you want like acetaminophen I'm allergic to inset so if you give me that you're gonna have to give me an EpiPen right after. <laughs> really? I never knew that. Yeah, I'm allergic to ibuprofen and NSAIDs. Do I have an EpiPen? No, I don't. I just don't take ibuprofen or <laughs> NSAIDs. I have one for bees. That's fair. Because, like, you never know when a bee is going to sting you, but I know that I can't take that stuff. So if I ju- choose to take it, like, that's that's a me problem. Yeah. That's a me problem, not a bee problem, baby. <laughs> While we're I had no hard feelings for the bees, but damn, y'all will fuck me up. <laughs> no hard feelings, though. I don't I kill love- you. I just run. I want, I want bees. Like, I want a beehive. I buy I one for my dad. Come over. Like, I wouldn't be able to come over. I bought one for my dad thinking I could live vicariously through him, and that shit is still in the box at his house. And I'm just like, put that together. Bass and bees. That's what uh, my in-laws were talking about that. They were like, we should all have a beehive. Like, let's raise bees. And I was like, look, have you ever (laughs) seen Hitch? Because that's what happens to me if I get stung by a bee. (laughs) No, you have an EpiPen. You'll be fine. Yeah, that's true. Now I do. I think it expired like four years ago, but there's no, I have had, I have a new doctor since then. And they always want to make you go through the scratch test. Which is torture. I probably, I could get allergy shots to help with like my excruciating symptoms that I experience. But the idea of going through like a prick test, I'm like, no, I would just die. That's awful. That happened to my sister-in-law. She had to go through all of the allergy testing. She went through all of it. And then they told her that they couldn't, they couldn't give her something. I can't even remember what it was, but she was planning on having babies in the next couple of years. And they were like, oh, no, we can't do it if you're planning on having children in the next five years. And she was like, oh, well, I am. So I guess this was all a waste. And it now she's nothing. She's getting ready to do all the allergy testing again because she had to, like, wait and reset. And I was like, Dude, I know I've <laughs> But I know it's going to come back everything. 
will be interesting to see what you're allergic to, though. I think I'm I think allergic that would to be the outside. Just the outdoors in general. Like, my, I should live in, like, Alaska. You get one of those bubbles. You know, my best, when we were in California, that was the best I felt. I had no stuffy nose, no congestion, nothing. Maybe you'd need to be in, like, a big city where there's no trees. Probably, but I live in fucking Ohio where it's, like, pollen capital of the world. <laughs> Sorry, I dropped it three times this time. That's okay. I just thought it was funny the way you said it. Probably, but I live in... King Ohio. <laughs> uh, we went down to Cincinnati last weekend to see Tom Segura. And I was like enamored with the city. I was like, I love big cities. I would live here. If I didn't have kids or a husband, I would just be hot girl summer. Dude, I would do that. I love cities. They're awesome. And my husband was like, ew. I know. No. You know, I we took um my daughter to a city and she was like we were actually driving through like downtown indy and she was like i love this i love these buildings i love all these people and i like was so hyped about it i was like yes you can live here one day and i'll come visit you i'll come here my middle son is obsessed with new york city like obsessed so You've told me that he wants to move to New York City and be a construction worker. Yeah, and have a cat. Yeah. That's like big goals, and I'm here for it. Honestly, like, I wish more people had goals like that because they feel attainable. (laughs) Although, we always joke that, like, he's our creepy one because he's his obsession with his mom. But he was, like, yelling. We were laying on the the kitchen floor one day because we do that and, like, eat snacks. And he was loudly talking about where we were going to live he's like we're gonna live in san francisco with our cat do you hear that dad like mom and i are moving to san francisco and then he whispered to me he's like but really we're gonna live in new york but (laughs) no one can know our secrets just the two of us (laughs) just me and my mom (laughs) i would love that he's great i Oh, man. I did go, uh, this is way off topic. It was double win for me. I think Tom Segura is hilarious. He was amazing live. And we got down there early and there was the Taste of Cincinnati Food Festival going on. Yeah, that is a double win. Yeah, I had my favorite food in the entire world is Mexican street corn. I will eat it. Anytime, if I am at a restaurant or a food truck or anything and they have it on the menu, that's what I'm getting. So I wait in this line. It's hot as hell. And I get my Mexican street court and they were running low on tahine. And remember my tiny tahine bottle? You have, did you have it? I had it in my purse. I was like, I pulled it out. It's like this big. I was like, don't worry. I got my own. They were impressed. But I was, it was, were they like, it's so cute and tiny. It's just so tiny. Like the tiny tahine is like where it's at. That was my favorite part of California. I have tried to find these little tiny bottles of this here, like in Ohio. No luck. But there's no like attractive way to eat corn on the cob, you know? Yeah, and that's true. Usually I'll eat it like the cups of the Mexican street corn. But this was just like stick cob chomp and i was eating it like a and i don't want to waste any of it no i had waited in line for 30 minutes for this stuff and it's my favorite food and 
I was waiting for my husband to come back from getting fish and chips with his friend. And as I was standing there, this guy walked by and was like, damn. But not <laughs> like a... Like not a, like, damn. 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 <laughs> Cover your mouth. I was destroying. Like, Algebra, it was like Street Corn Destroyer. Street That's Corn it. Destroyer. That's definitely a metal band if, it, if it's not. It should be Street Corn Destroyer. But I was just like, I had it over the paper plate. I was, it was a full ear of corn. I was just like, ah, ah. damn. <laughs> I always think of like Big, the movie Big, and he like eats little tiny rows. He goes, <laughs> like, that's how I would eat corn every time. I can never make it happen, but I was in like shorts. And I had on like my bodysuit. So I looked like I should be like very prim and proper. Lady. Tear it up that cord. And I finished the entire thing and wish I would have had a second one. Mm. Now I'm thinking about it. That's what I want. You can get some this week wherever you can go and get it. If you, you had to make it, it. Mm. it's better. No. My grandma could make it really good, but I just, there are certain. I don't know if anyone else, there are certain dishes for my childhood that I know I could probably make. Just it tastes better when you buy Not it. Not the same. And yeah. it's like, I think of how my family cooks it and it's just way better. And it's like, I try to get recipes. I call my grandma and I'm like, hey, how do you make this? And she's like, oh, you just put this, this, and this together. I'm like, well, how much? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> you just mix I it together. It. Like, that's I feel like I'm about burgers. Like, I can make a burger and I'm sure it'll be fine. But, like, burgers taste so much better when you just buy them. Like, when you just get them somewhere. Like, gives Or it. someone makes it for you, dresses the burger, and then brings it to your table. Like, yeah, exactly. Home. Someone else does it, not me. I. That's my pro tip. I have hyped sex. I've hyped my husband's burgers up so much to where he's like, I'm going to make you a burger. And I'm like, hell yeah, you are. <laughs> it's the best I've ever had. Because I don't have to touch it. I don't have to cook it. Because <laughs> it's not my responsibility. That's not what makes my it good. responsibility. The lack of responsibility is what makes it delicious. Yeah, that's really what it is. And it's even like double wit if I don't have to clean up anything afterwards. Just throw everything in the garbage. Just your yeah. stick in your plate. Screw it in the garbage. in my plate. I just want to lay on a bed surrounded with Mexican street corn and just nibble my way to heaven. I just pictured you in like a mini pool just filled with corns <laughs> and like tahine bottles all over. The yeah, that'd be a weird calendar, but I would look at it. <laughs> Who wants that calendar? <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I don't Everyone. want you guys. Damn. <laughs> Damn, not that guy. He doesn't. <laughs> He's, He's disgusted. <laughs> I like recreated, like I put my phone up to like see the look that he had from me. And I was like, oh, you're right. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't play with it. You can eat however you want and don't let anyone judge you. I'm a gross eater. That's fine. Who cares? I don't make noises though. That you know of, that you can hear. No, I have dog whistles. No, my husband would definitely tell me because he's so subtle with things about me that bother him <laughs> i would definitely know if i make noises because every time our son eats i could see his eye rolls <laughs> <laughs> i was like <sighs> like i'm like 
bro, we get it. It's good. Stop. (laughs) You know, at least he's eating it and he's happy about it. He's not complaining. Which I think is all you can ask for of a 12 year old. (laughs) He eats everything. (laughs) Like, I was not prepared for teenage boy grocery bills. You are now. Yeah, in the middle of the inflation of the century. <laughs> Nate. Joke, dude. Oh, man, it's so gnarly. I pride myself on my ability to meal plan and, like, budget my grocery list. And I used, like, I could feed my family on 60 bucks a week, no problem. But I can't do it for, like, less than 120 now. Like, a week. It's crazy. Do you want to know what I spend on groceries every single week? I'm gonna guess like three ten. Yep, right I'm at three hundred. Over <laughs> every week, every yeah, that's week, crazy town. And now the kids are home for the summer, so I don't even want to know the damage. And the best part is, I spend all that on groceries, and I still eat out probably three times a week. You have a problem? No, I told myself well, yeah. I wasn't gonna eat out this week, and I definitely ate at Panera today. You can't not. You know? Did you have a bread bowl? No, I love that new, like, it's not even new, I don't think, but it's the Chipotle chicken and avocado melt. So good. Mm-hmm. Not an ad, but it is delicious if you're feeling sassy. I have not been able to have a bread bowl, but last time I just licked one. Dude, I like, after I eat my soup, my broccoli and cheddar for my bread bowl, and I scrape the guts out, I rip it open, and I like chew the edges off like an animal. Hmm. I hope I you guys are really happy just learning about our disgusting <laughs> eating. <laughs> yeah, on that note, we should probably say have a, we hope you had a safe long weekend and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, And on Wednesdays, we're We're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.